Good morning, and welcome to our Sunday worship service. Thank you for joining us, and I pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by our time together here today. I would invite you to bow with me as we begin our time together, and let's commit it to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence together with us today. Lord, as we continue to seek your face, to worship you, to hear from your word, we pray that you would continue to pour out your blessing on us, your children. We pray that you would encourage our hearts in these days. We pray that you would strengthen us. We pray that you would motivate us, Lord, to continue to serve you and to live out our faith day by day uh, for your glory. And so we pray, Lord, for this uh, in our church. We pray that you would meet each need, Lord, in each home. And that, Lord, even as we continue to uh, meet together um, uh, over the internet from a distance, we pray that we would still continue to be bound together in the unity of the Spirit. And that, Lord, as we sit together under your word, would you, would you do a good work in our hearts today, we pray. I pray that you would bless your word as it goes forth. Lord, we pray that you would meet the needs, uh, the physical needs of our congregation. We think of those who need a healing touch, and we continue to pray, Lord, for uh, a number of men from our congregation who have had uh, injuries in this past uh, couple of months. We continue to pray for full healing for them, for, for Mitchell, for Jay, for Colby, and we pray for each one of them, Lord, that you would provide that healing that is needed. Uh, we think of others, Lord, who also need a healing touch from you. Um, in whatever form, and we pray that you would, uh, according to your will, meet each one of those needs. Uh, we pray, Lord, for those in Bayside, and we continue to pray specifically for our seniors, Lord, that in their, in their isolation and loneliness, be near to them, and we pray, Lord, for the day when, when we will be able to be reunited in person once again. And we continue to pray to that end, Lord, for our church family, that we will uh, soon be able to gather uh, here in this place that we have set aside as a sanctuary for worship of you, our great God, and we pray, Lord, that as a church family, you would provide that, that opportunity very soon. Uh, we pray now, Lord, for uh, gifts and tithes that will be given. Continue to bless and multiply those to uh, do the work of the ministry, uh, expand your kingdom, and build up your church according to your will. We pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now for the offering, we will continue to uh, provide you with two opportunities to continue to give of tithes and offerings, and you can do that in person coming here to the church. There is an offering box located in the foyer. You can leave your donation there, or you can drop it in the mail and mail it to Clarny Mennonite Church, Box 969, Clarny Manitoba, R0K1G0, and you can also check out this information online on our church website, www.clarnychurch.com. We'll also be having uh, updates shortly in regards to membership and membership meetings and things like that, uh, so stay tuned for those updates coming soon as well. We're going to be returning now in 2021, I've got to get used to saying that, to our Romans uh, sermon series, and today we're going to be heading into part 10 of our Romans series, which we began back in the fall, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, and there we're going to focus in on the first four verses of this rich passage in Romans chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please get them, open them up, and turn there with me, and let's read together. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. 
how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So far the reading of God's word. Would you bow with me once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that it is living and active. And we thank you that it reveals to us your design, your intent, and your power to enable us to live a new life. And so I pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak through this word, through me, your servant, speak to our hearts and minds. May the words be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, so far in our Roman sermon series, we have covered the first five chapters wherein Paul has made the compelling and complete case that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, born under the federal headship of Adam, all people are guilty of sin and therefore under God's wrath. Further, we've learned that while, like uh, a mirror, the law can reveal to us our sin, the law is powerless to save us from our sin. And to his principally Jewish audience, this was a very big deal, one that Paul stressed repeatedly. The law can reveal our, our sinful condition, how we're under wrath, but it can't save us from that condition. And then throughout this teaching, verse by verse, Paul has presented the good news of the gospel, that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that once this free gift of salvation has been received by faith, we are then justified. Justified, meaning just as if I'd never sinned. We have been so completely atoned for and covered by the blood of Christ that now when we come into the presence of God, it's as though, like Christ, we have never once sinned in our lives. So perfect has our sin been covered by Christ, just as if I'd never sinned. So now entering chapter 6, Paul again shifts gears from emphasizing the believer's justification to now beginning to teach on the believer's sanctification. Sanctification. Now, I know we're using a lot of big terms, but that's the way Romans is. It's rich, it's deep, and so I want to uh, emphasize this term of sanctification. Now, I know these terms aren't ones that we use most of the time in our Christian circles. You know, we don't go up to each other and be like, hey, brother, how's your justification? Or, you know, go to the coffee shop and I dare you to try this sometime. Just ask someone, hey, so how's your sanctification coming along? You might get a lot of deer in the headlight sort of looks. But even though we may not use these terms that often, it's important that we know what they mean because we often are talking about these things just in different terms. And so here is where we are going to introduce a new theological phrase to summarize the past, the present, and the future components of our salvation. And it goes like this. I have been justified. That's the past event. I have been justified. I am being sanctified. That's the present and ongoing reality. And I will be glorified. 
and that will be the future event of being made perfect in the presence of Christ. So, I have been justified, I am being sanctified, and I will be glorified. Now, if you are a Christian, you may have become already aware of this, but if you are a Christian, you are still capable of sinning. I know this is shocking. You're saying, how dare you tell me that? But of course, we all know from our own personal experience, this is true. We are all capable of sinning. For though having been justified, our current position in Christ and before God is we are justified in full. And yes, that happens the very first moment we believe in Jesus. And so this is complete. The the finished work of being justified by Christ through faith in him. However, now moving into the present, the sanctification of the believer is a lifelong and ongoing process. And it's quite often a process that's a little messy and full of all sorts of ups and downs. There's an urban legend that's told of the Italian national sailing team that once headed to Australia to compete in a race. Of course, being from Italy, they were outfitted with the latest sports fashion made by the famous Italian designer Gucci. So they had their Italian Gucci team jackets. And so one day, while on a break from training, the team decided that they would take a drive into the countryside with the aim of seeing a real live kangaroo in the wild. So they all piled into a rental car and drove off into the outback. But after driving many, many miles through the desolate countryside, they didn't have any luck. They didn't see a single kangaroo, and they finally decided to give up and head back. So they turn around, and just then, a kangaroo hops onto the road directly in front of their speeding car. There's simply no avoiding it, and thump! They hit the poor roo, which goes flying and lands on the pavement with a thud. Well, the young men were a little shook up at first, but quickly they begin to laugh at the irony that their goal of seeing a kangaroo in the wild has now been achieved in the most unlikely of ways. Then, as it lay motionless there on the road, they decided, well, we've been looking for one all day, we may as well get out and take some pictures of it. And so they begin to take some photos and they soon begin posing around it as a team and taking a team photo with this kangaroo. Then, as they've done this for a while, one of the young men gets the bright idea that, you know what would be hilarious? Is if we put one of our team jackets on the kangaroo and pose as though it's a member of our team. And so, of course, all these young men begin laughing about it. Finally, one of them offers his jacket to put on the dead kangaroo. And so gleefully, they slip the Gucci jacket onto the corpse. They then prop it up and pose beside it for the camera. Well, at this exact moment, the kangaroo, which had actually only been knocked unconscious, wakes up. Then it leaps straight up into the air about three feet and bounds off, leaving the stunned Italians gaping after it. Now, as the story goes, somewhere in the Australian outback now lives a very fashionably dressed kangaroo wearing a Gucci jacket. And as if losing the jacket wasn't bad enough, in its left pocket are the keys to the team's rental car.
Now, while that kangaroo was down, it was not out. It was down, but not out. And as Christians, I think that we often make the similar mistake with sin. We mistakenly assume that our old temptations, old desires, and old sinful ways of life will just automatically go away and we don't have to worry about those things anymore. After all, I've been justified. Sin's gone, it's, it's dead, it's done with, and I don't have to even think about it anymore. And yet, as a result of this sort of, a think, this sort of thinking, we often will let our guard down. And we start getting a little bit too close to old areas of temptation. And then when we least expect it, like the kangaroo, they spring back to life, catching us by surprise and catching us off guard, and we fall into sin. And it's critically important that every follower of Jesus Christ knows that as long as we live in this fallen world, and as long as we're still living in this corrupted flesh, then we are not immune to the temptations of sin. We are in a war. And it's not a war for the faint of heart. Because let me warn you that if you are ready to get serious about separating yourself from sin and becoming holy unto God, becoming holy as he is holy, then get ready for battle. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, bare-knuckle fight to the death against your own sinful flesh and its carnal desires. And these desires wage war against our very souls. Because you see, this war isn't primarily external. We so often think of the fight against sin against things on the outside of us. But in reality, the vast majority of the warfare takes place internally, within us. And Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. The flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. The flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. You see, your old sinful nature, though it's been, it's been the penalty of it has been paid for in full, you've been justified, However, until we are glorified, it is still lurking, and it is still capable of rising up and warring against our new godly nature constantly, and often without warning. That old nature has to be fought in the trenches of daily life. And that's why Paul said, I die daily, because our flesh has to be crucified daily, our desires denied daily in order that we might live out the victorious life that Christ intends for us. And so if you are a follower of Christ, then you already know, and I don't have to tell you, that this spiritual battle happens every day, and it's very real. I don't have to tell you this because you're already experiencing it. You're living in it. And so now having laid this as the foundation for this text, let's turn to Romans 6. Please open your Bibles again with me. And we're going to dive in to the first couple of verses of this text in Romans 6. Here Paul opens this new section on sanctification with a very pointed question. He asks, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? 
Now, this question directly addresses an issue of great importance. Let's ask the question one more time. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, what Paul is addressing here is what is our fundamental view of God's grace? How do we view the grace that we've been given, the lavish grace which has justified us so thoroughly that it's just as if I'd never sinned? What is our view of this grace that we have been given? Do we view this grace that we have been given as something costly to be treasured or as something cheap to be exploited? Now, just two verses earlier in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Paul is connecting this question in 6, verse 1, back to his closing thought in Romans 5, verse 20. And there he wrote, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So Paul was connecting the thought that there is more than enough grace for all of the sin. Where, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. You will never run out of grace. And so... Taking this thought to a somewhat logical conclusion, although uh, we'll see in a moment that it's, that it's definitely illogical, but for the early Roman Christians, they took this teaching and they were rationalizing to themselves that since salvation is a free and unlimited gift of God's grace, and since sinning causes God's grace to abound all the more, then couldn't they just keep on sinning so that God's grace would keep on abounding, keep on increasing? In fact, maybe they'd be doing something noble and good if by continuing to sin and everyone could see, look how much grace they're, they're getting, look how gracious God is, that in a way they could be pointing to the good, gracious attributes of God, that they were putting it on display all the more. And so Paul is addressing this sort of thinking. There's a story of a man who was planning on a trip to Las Vegas who called ahead to talk to the pastor of, of one of the churches there. And he informed the pastor of his planned trip and he asked what time their Sunday worship service would begin. To which the pastor replied, Well, this is certainly refreshing. Most people who take a trip to good old Sin City aren't planning on attending church while they're here. Oh, don't get me wrong, the man replied. I just figured with the amount of gambling, drinking, and womanizing that I plan on doing during the week, I'd better be in church to ask for forgiveness on Sunday. Now, we, of course, scoff at such rank hypocrisy. We wouldn't tolerate it, and we wouldn't do it. Or would we? Perhaps we don't do it quite so deliberately as this man, Perhaps we don't justify our sin the way the Romans did by saying, well, I'm sinning, but God's grace is abounding all the more. Perhaps we're not doing it intentionally to put God's grace on display. But let me ask you, have you ever sinned, and I'm using a, just the catch-all term here, something that you knew was wrong, something that you knew was disobeying God's will for your life? Have you ever done that? Have you ever sinned and all the while knew deep down, even as you were doing it, that you'd be asking God for forgiveness later on. Have you ever done that? Perhaps right in the middle of losing your temper and going on an epic 
temper tantrum, and just as the four-letter words start tumbling out of your mouth. Perhaps right in the middle of claiming something on your income tax that you know wasn't actually a business expense. Perhaps right in the middle of gossiping about someone. Perhaps right in the middle of clicking on a pornographic website. Perhaps right in the middle of cheating on a test. Right in the middle of telling a lie. And on and on it goes. The examples of ways that we can sin and all the while in the back of our minds. Right in the middle of doing it. You realize this is wrong. You realize this is sin. But you keep going anyways. Why? Why do we do this? Well, why not? God will give me his unlimited grace again, won't he? Doesn't the Bible say if we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins? So I'll just keep on confessing, and he'll just keep on forgiving. And so we compromise with sin today, knowing that we'll confess tomorrow. And we can get into a cycle of sinning and confessing, sinning and confessing, knowing that we're just going to keep on relying on God's grace, which is abounding all the more. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, referred to living this way as cheap grace. Listen to how he describes it. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Now Bonhoeffer wrote those words in Hitler's Germany of the mid-1930s, but he may as well have been writing those about the church in Canada today. Don't we love to be forgiven for our sin, but then resist having to give those same sins up? We love being baptized into the church family, but we resist having to be held accountable. We love being justified, but we resist being sanctified. We love being declared not guilty, but so often go right back to living in the exact same things that made us guilty in the first place. You see, confessing our sin and repenting of our sin, yes, they are linked, but they are not exactly the same thing. Let me explain the difference. Confession, acknowledging your sin, saying you're sorry for it, confession is the first part of repentance. But if we only say the words of confession and don't change the behavior through actual repentance, we're just letting off hot air. It's like when one of my kids does something to make one of their siblings cry. And so I go and see what's, what's the matter, and I, I sort it out, and I tell the one who is the perpetrator, I, I say, now say sorry. Say sorry to your sister. And so, sorry. And then, okay, we've dealt this, it's done with, I turn my back, I leave the room, and about 30 seconds after I've left the room, they're fighting again. That is a small example of confession, sorry, without true repentance. They were right back at it within 30 seconds. Confession without repentance. 
Now, in the same way, when we fall into a pattern of sin, confess, repeat. Sin, confess, repeat. But there's no true repentance. There's no true desire or even effort to turn away from that sin that we continually confess. If we are doing this, if we are living in this pattern, then we may fool others. We may even be fooling ourselves. But my friends, we most certainly are not fooling God. So let me be perfectly clear. If our fundamental view of God's grace is that it is something cheap to be exploited, then we have completely misunderstood. Completely. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul wrote, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And what was that price that you and I were bought with? Well, Acts chapter 20, verse 28 tells us that God purchased the church with his own blood. That was the price. A man by the name of Joe Krakowski is the American blood donor champion. You see, Joe lost his arm in an accident when he was only six years old. And so, when World War II came around, he was thus rejected for military service. And so, since that time, he, he always felt like, well, I need to do something to help my country. And one of the ways that he found out that he could help the cause, help give life to many soldiers who would need it, was by donating his own blood. And so, from that time on, he began donating blood regularly. And over the years, it has now been calculated that Joe has donated 120 liters of blood. Now, for context, the human body contains an average of 5 liters of blood. That's the average of what is in you right now, 5 liters. And so, in his life, Joe has donated some 24 times that amount. And when asked what motivated him to just keep donating blood like this, Joe said, Giving blood makes you feel like you're contributing life itself. There's no more precious a gift than life. Money can't buy the joy of giving blood to help someone who needs it. Now, this is an incredible attitude of selfless giving. And Joe Kirkowski uh, is a great example of living this out. But though he may have given the most blood to help give life to others, Jesus has given the best blood because he has given life to all. As the great old hymn asks, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So let me ask, is God's grace free? Yes. Yes, it is. It is a free gift. Is God's grace unlimited? Absolutely. There is no limit to how much grace is available. But is it cheap? Not at all. Not at all. For consider that just this past week alone, just this past week, 
Look at your own, your own life for this past week, for seven days. Think about it. When you or I committed even what we would think of as the smallest of sins, those little moments of, of, of just, you know, greed, those little moments of pride, maybe a little white lie, you know, maybe a little bit of gossip, maybe, a, you know, a little bit of lust that I, that I dwelt on, whatever it might be, even what we think of as the smallest of sins that we committed just this past week, just one of those sins cost Jesus every last drop of his precious blood to atone for and to cover that one sin by grace. So make no mistake about it. When Jesus died on that cross, it was for your sin and mine. And it cost the author of life his life by shedding his blood for us, hanging from a cruel instrument of torture and execution. It was for our sins. And so, yes, God's gift of grace is free and unlimited, but my friends, it is not cheap. In fact, God's grace towards us is the most costly and precious thing in all of existence, for his grace is all that separates us from the eternal death in the fires of hell and receiving eternal life in the glorious presence of God in heaven forever. Grace is what separates us. That's all. That's it. And so to abuse God's grace by deliberately continuing to live in this sin that condemns us is utterly appalling to God. Appalling. It angers him. And you know what, my friends? It should be appalling to us as well. And Paul makes this point abundantly clear when he answers his own question emphatically in Romans 6 and verses 1 and 2. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. And Paul then proceeds to explain why. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so you see, my friends, the purpose of God's grace is not to enable us to just keep on living the old life, but rather God's grace was given to enable us to live a new life, a life that has not only been justified or freed from the penalty of sin, but a life that is now being sanctified and is day by day being separated from the practice of sin. There's a great old camp song that was always one of my, my favorites when I was a young kid attending Turtle Mountain Bible Camp. And the camp song is called Little by Little Every Day. And the song, one of the reasons I loved it was because it included both actions and could also be sung as a round song. But as fun as it was, that, that little camp song explained the rich doctrine of our sanctification so well. And I'm sure some of you will remember the song as well. The words go like this. Little by little every day, little by little in every way, my Jesus is changing me. Since I made a turnabout face, I've been growing in his grace. My Jesus is changing me. He's changing me, my precious Jesus. 
I'm not the same person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow going, but there's a knowing that one day perfect I will be. And so my friends, let me ask you, do you want Jesus to be changing you? Do you truly desire for him to be sanctifying you through and through? Well, if so, then let me encourage you to start right now today to take your personal sanctification as seriously as God does. That's, that's a mouthful, to take your sanctification as seriously as God does. Because you can rest assured that no one, no one is more personally invested in your sanctification and in not only saving you from the penalty of sin, but also from the presence and the practice of sin than God. And so therefore, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, he has given every spiritual blessing, every, every tool, every equipping to enable us to have victory in our day-to-day -day lives against sin and against the flesh. For God has called us not only to fight the good fight of faith, but to fight it in such a way as to win. And this is God's desire for each and every one of us. It's not just for the super spiritual Christians. It's not just for the pastor or the missionary. It's for everyone, all of his children. God desires this for us. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, we are told, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of completion in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us this confidence that you who began the good work in us, you who justified us by your precious blood, are continuing the good work of sanctifying us day by day, that you are changing me more and more into your likeness. Oh, Lord, make us, help us desire this as much as you do, that we would agree with your good work in us, and that day by day we would seek it, and that we would stop fooling around with the old lusts of sin, that we would consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is your design and desire for us, and you have given us the power to not only desire this, but to live it out and to claim victory in you day by day. And so, Father, work this out in our lives. Give us the desire to do what you have asked us to do. And so now, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I pray that God will richly bless you in the week ahead, and that Lord willing, I'll see you again right here next week.